Good morning. So, we are in the second week of our new series. It is a series that is focused on the Holy Spirit. As a church, we've been looking at the person, the promise, the purpose, the presence, and the power. And we have been discovering more and more about the character of the Holy Spirit, of who the Holy Spirit is. And the aim is that over the next few weeks, that us as a church, as we explore these, you know, these next few weeks leading up to Christmas, that we will discover more and more about what it truly means to live out and experience a life that is dependent on the Holy Spirit. You know, this is God coming to dwell in us. And I believe, I really, really believe that the impact on us, the impact on us as a church, the impact on uh, the wider community, if we get this right, can be absolutely mind-blowing. It will be transforming. And last week, we were reminded that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a force. There are times in the Bible where he's described as, um, as a fire described as oil. You know, when Jesus himself uh, was baptized in water, when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. Quite often he's described as a rushing wind, but we're reminded he is not a force. He is, in fact, a person. He is an equal part of the Trinity. He is God the Father, God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit. He is at times possibly the most least understood. I think we know a lot more about God the Father or God the Son because we can relate to that in everyday life. You know, we have fathers, we have sons. Whether we're in church, whether we talk about it in our community, it's something that we can easily relate to. But if we start talking about spirits or the Holy Spirit or something spiritual... We can actually, you know, we're in danger of putting people off or people like back off, like, whoa, I don't want to like hear about this. You know, you're, you're, you're delving into something a bit unknown here. But the Holy Spirit's key role is to step aside and reflect the attention onto Jesus. You know, his key role is to give glory and honour to Jesus. And one thing I want to take from last week as we continue today is that we must pursue the person of the Holy Spirit and not the experience of him. You know, at times, I think we can, we can experience the Holy Spirit, whether we're at uh, worship meetings, prayer meetings, in our life groups, life group meetings, a setting like this morning, we all experience the Holy Spirit in different ways, whether the Holy Spirit comes upon us or whether we experience uh, peace, whether we laugh out loud, whether we cry. We all experience the Holy Spirit very differently and very uniquely. But we, we must be so careful not to pursue those individual experiences. If we want to know more about the Holy Spirit, we need to pursue the person of him. So as we learn more and more about his character, today we're going to look at spiritual gifts. We're going to look at what are spiritual gifts. You know, I think that as a church, we have a pretty good idea or pretty good understanding of what spiritual gifts are. You know, we're able to recognise uh, who is gifted and in what different ways. And we're going to talk about what prevents us from using our spiritual gifts. You know, I think, I know for my own example, I have a little bit of uh, fear when it comes to spiritual gifts. Perhaps I lack compassion. Perhaps at times I, I'm not quick with using my spiritual gifts. 
And we're going to discover how we can use our spiritual gifts better or what motivates us to use our spiritual gifts better. Now, spiritual gifts are given to us to enable us to fulfill God's calling on our lives. They are there to help us increase the kingdom of God. You know, we can use them to build up and change people's lives for the better. You know, as a church, we should encourage each person to exercise and to grow in their God-given spiritual gifts. It doesn't matter what kind of role you play in a church, whether you're in eldership, whether you lead the worship team, whether you were leading worship this morning, whether you lead the prayer ministry, it doesn't matter. We should be encouraging each and every person, encouraging one another to use our God-given spiritual gifts. Why? Because it is for the benefit of us as the church and for the wider community. So as we read this passage together, we're going to be looking at the letter to uh, Corinthians. We're going to be reading 1 Corinthians. We're going to discover that part of uh, using our spiritual gifts, or the foundational theme throughout this passage of Scripture, is family. Now, I know that Steve uh, preached a few weeks ago, at the beginning of September, on his vision for the upcoming year. And even though... We used to be called Sutton Family Church where we had family in our name. Despite the change in name, we should still have family. Family is a core part of who we are. So in your Bibles, can you turn to 1 Corinthians? We're going to be reading 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to be reading from verse 4 onwards. So that's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. And we're going to read up to verse 6 to begin with. It says this, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for the life that it brings. Lord, I want to thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for the, for the truth that we've been singing about, how amazing you are. You are awesome. You are wonderful. You are, uh, you are outstanding. You are graceful. You are merciful. Lord, I thank you for that truth of that last song that we sung, who the Son sets free. Oh, is free indeed. Lord, I thank you just for how great you are. And Lord, my prayer for this morning, Lord, let us be shaped by your word. Lord, I pray that your word moves in power. And Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So picture the scene. It's AD 56. You're in a church in Corinth. You're surrounded by lots of different people. You're surrounded by Jews. You're surrounded by Gentiles. You're surrounded by slaves. And you're surrounded by people who are free. And you might think church is, is, is doing really, really well. But in fact, the church at this time is in a mess. It is an absolute state. You know, you've got the Jews who are trying to bring in the old teachings of the law. You've got the Gentiles who are a bit confused with, with what to believe. You've got the slaves who want to be free. And you've got the free who are kind of muddling in wherever. You've got good use of spiritual gifts. You know, there are people who are using their spiritual gifts well. And you've got people who aren't using their spiritual gifts at all. 
But you've also got some people who are using their spiritual gifts for the wrong reasons, for their own benefit. People who, are, who are, have been given a gift, just lording over everyone else. And verse 4 begins by Paul describing the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, working together as a team, but here they are ministering out in their different ways. You know, we read about the different gifts, but the Holy Spirit is the same source of all gifts. We read that different acts of service, but it is the same Lord that we are serving. Different ways God works, but yet it is the same God doing the work in all of us. And Paul is quite clever here because it's, he's written to the Corinthian church who is in a mess and he takes them back to a family that isn't in a mess, to a family that created family itself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's like if you're in a messy situation, where do you go? You go back to the one who can solve that. It's like if you're in need of love today, or perhaps you need an extra uh, dose of grace, or perhaps you're, you're facing a very difficult situation and you're feeling a bit hopeless. You go back to the one who is the source of love, the source of grace, and the source of love. You know, we've got this awesome image of a family that are working together as a team. They are united in their purpose, and yet they are diverse in their action. And I just want to bring up something here, because it says here there are different ways that God works, but it's the same God that does the work in all of us. Now, that passage doesn't say it is the same God who does the work in a few of us, or the select few, it doesn't say that you have to reach a certain standard for God to come and work in you. No, everybody is included in that. Everyone is accepted. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your experience of family? Perhaps you're in a loving family. Perhaps you've got both parents. Perhaps it has been a setting where you've been, you were able to be vulnerable with them. You were able to be honest and open or perhaps, like me, you've come from quite a different kind of family. Perhaps your family was quite dysfunctional. I was fortunate I had both parents, and yet not, because I had, I had my dad, but my dad worked quite a lot. You know, there were times that I remember where he would work a night shift, he'd come home at like 8 o'clock in the morning, he'd go to bed for a couple of hours, and then he'd get up again and he'd go and work a late shift, starting at like half past one in the day. And then he'd finished at 9 o'clock, so when he came back home, he wasn't in a fit state, just want to spend time with like, his kids. So then he'd get up in the morning, and he's, we find out he's at work again. So we know that we have a dad, or I had a dad, and yet not. Talking about my mum, my mum was, was present, but she was an alcoholic. And so although I saw you know, the, the physical of my mum, I didn't see the emotional. That connection wasn't there. Perhaps today you're a single parent. Perhaps you've grown up without parents. Perhaps you've been adopted. Perhaps you've got step-parents. You know, families are quite dysfunctional, but they are not how God created them to be. You know, despite your experience of family, I want to remind you, church, this morning, that we are in a family together and that we are part of an even greater family. We are part of the family of God. So let's move on. I want to read 1 Corinthians 12, and we're reading verse 7 to 11. 
A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Dill, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should get. Now verse 7 kicks off saying, A spiritual gift is given to each of us to enable us to help each other. And I just want to emphasize that word there. Spiritual gift is given to each of us. Again, no one is excluded here. If you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are given a gift. Everybody is included. It doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for 30 to 40 years or whether you've been a Christian for 30 to 40 days. Everyone is given a gift. And what does it say there? So we can help each other. That's the reason why we have a spiritual gift, is to help one another. It's not about helping select people. There's, there's no, we don't have to, to exclude anyone. Our gifts are there to help one another. And I think that at times, I know where I've gone wrong, and perhaps people, other people here have gone wrong. Is that we've just, we just don't know enough about the message of the gospel. You know, that, that spiritual gifts and the gospel go hand in hand. It's not like we have to keep the gospel separate here. And then when we come to talk about spiritual gifts, we're over here. I mean, oh, hang on a minute, we need to talk about the gospel again. So we have to go back here. No, they go hand in hand. They cleave to one another. You know, spiritual gifts back up and confirm what the gospel says. And likewise, the gospel confirms how you use your spiritual gifts. An area I know that I've struggled in is fear. You know, I, I think that we don't use our spiritual gifts because we're ashamed of our identity. You know, what will others think of me? What if they don't like me? What if I get passed on, on that promotion? You know, I think that sometimes we don't want to lose our friendships. You know, we get too comfortable in that. And yet the, the gospel demands something else. It demands that we surrender. It demands that we die to ourselves. And it's a question about what we value most. You know, do we value the limitless grace of the gospel that brought us out of our sin, that brought us out of our shame, that the gospel that has set us free, the gospel that is, is, is just a message of love and grace and hope and freedom? Or do we value the fleeting approval of those people around us? You know, I think sometimes we don't use our spiritual gifts because we don't realize that we have a mission. Yet yeah, it's what God has called us to do, isn't it? You know, Matthew 28, 18 says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, teach them how to live. It doesn't say go and make disciples of the world. It doesn't say go and baptize them in your arguments. It doesn't say, um, you know, teach them how not to live. I think one area that I struggle with when it comes to using spiritual gifts, 
is a lack of compassion. And I, I think that we don't use our spiritual gifts because we misunderstand what it means to be a friend of the world. You know, we, 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 we come across these different situations and we're, we're just, we can, you know, we're just a little bit hard-hearted about it. Perhaps we, we can't relate to it. And we just, we just accept things as the norm. And yet, despite all this, it says here, spiritual gift is given to each of us. So why does God consider us so significant to give us a gift? Church, it is because he loves us. He loves us so much. You know, we've been singing about him this morning. He's the God of love, who the Son sets free. Oh, is free indeed. You know, there is such truth in what we've been singing. There's such truth in your Bible. If you want to know what God thinks of you, read your Bible. He loves us with an everlasting love. It is an unshakable love. You know, he doesn't see us through the eyes of the world. He doesn't see us and think, oh my word, I can't believe you're going for that hairstyle this morning. Or Kieran, why are you wearing those skinny jeans? He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He doesn't see us through the eyes of the world. He sees us through the blood of a lamb. He sees us through the blood of Jesus. We are sanctified. We are made righteous. We are holy and blameless. You know, it says in his word, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are children bought at a high price. Blood-bought children of his wonderful grace. I think that deserves an amen. amen. So I want to move to the next slide and list the different gifts. You know, as I said, I think that as a church, we're quite good at recognising when people are gifted. But it's wise advice, special knowledge, special faith. The, gift, the Holy Spirit gives gifts of healing, the power to perform miracles, prophecy, uh, discernment. We can speak in unknown languages, interpret unknown languages. And yet we must remember what that verse says at the beginning. Church, a spiritual gift is given to each of us to help one another. It is to build each other up. I want to quickly just read verse 11. It says, It is the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. You know, the Spirit decides which gift is the most appropriate. It is through our relationship with God that we are given a gift. You know, church, the Holy Spirit is in control. He knows what gifts suit us. He knows our personalities. He knows us inside out. Because at the beginning of Genesis, we read that the Holy Spirit was hovering over creation. He was present when the world was created. And he was present when we were created as well. You know, church, if you don't know your gift this morning, don't wallow about it. Don't sit in a corner and think, oh, do you know what? There's loads of other people who are really, you know, clearly gifted here. I don't know my place. I don't know. I, don't, I clearly haven't got anything to bring to, the, bring to the table here. If you don't know your gift, do something about it. You know, pray about it. You know, Mike, bless him, every week is, stands up here saying, prayer changes things. And he is right. Prayer changes things. Ask the Holy Spirit. You know, if you ask the Holy Spirit 
to give you a gift. The Holy Spirit's not going to say, what on earth are you doing asking me for a gift? No, he's going to think, yeah, great, let's crack on with this. Because as I said earlier, his job is he steps aside to reflect the attention and the glory on God the Father and God the Son. His job is there to help us to increase the kingdom of God. Ask others to pray about it. In your life groups, you know, life groups are a perfect setting where we can be vulnerable, we can be open, we can be honest with one another. And it's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to make mistakes. We are, we're humans after all, aren't we? No, not one of us is perfect. You know, church, I think that we need to start exercising our spiritual gifts more. You know, they're, they're like muscles. You know, the more you use them, the stronger that you become. And if you don't use your spiritual gifts, it's not the gift that is weakened, it is us. If you don't use your muscles, you find that, like for example, I know um, at the beginning of July, um, I started training for a half marathon. And the training was going really well until I fell over and cut my knee open. But could I run again? No, I couldn't. I had to have stitches in the knee. It took about six weeks. So there were six weeks where I didn't do any running or any form of training at all. So when, when I first came to do that first run afterwards, man, it was a slog. But now I can run quite easily for a couple of hours and hold quite a steady conversation. Our spiritual gifts need to be exercised and need to be exercised regularly. Let's read on. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 to 17. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body, by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Probably one of the most bizarrest pieces of scripture that I've ever read. So Paul begins by, by likening us, uh, the body of Christ, to the human body. You know, he talks about the body has many different parts. You know, we're different, but we're all uh, part of one body. Body of Christ, different parts, one body. And again, we see that this this foundational theme of family is like creeping through. It's like spiritual gifts. You've got family, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, family, family, spiritual gifts. They work alongside each other. And we read about Jews, Gentiles, slaves, and free. You know, we've got a diverse mix of people. Again, just reminding you, we are a diverse community, and yet we are united in one purpose. But when Paul's writing here, he's talking about the different parts and saying, if a foot says... I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand. And he talks about the ear saying, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye. You know, church, I want to remind us that we are all different parts of one body. No one here is less significant than each other. We are just as significant. And I, I think that sometimes as a church, we can breed these, these certain attitudes. We can allow these thoughts to take over. You know, we can believe that we are less significant than others based on our spiritual gifts. 
You know, we can feel unwanted. We can feel not needed. Perhaps we can feel on a periphery. But God has placed each part exactly where he wants it. Why? Because we are significant to his plan. You know, the body is not complete without every part. We're all designed to be one together. Is anybody here this morning perhaps fractured or broken or perhaps dislocated a part of their body? Put your hand up if you have. There's quite a few of us here. Doesn't it feel amazing? No. No, it doesn't, does it? It feels awful. It feels terrible. It feels painful. We are in pain. We're in agony in our, in our joints. And I think that actually when we, when we breathe these kind of attitudes over ourselves, when we say that we're not, we're not as significant as others, actually what we're doing is we're almost fracturing ourselves. We're almost breaking those, those parts of our body um, to, which, are, which are stopping us from um, living how God intended us to live. And the same applies as we move on. When he talks about our bodies have many different parts, but God has put each part exactly where he wants it. How strange a body would it be if it only had one part? Many parts, but one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't say, sorry, the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Again, church, we need to be careful as well. The head's saying to the foot, I don't need you. We've got to be mindful that we are a family together, that we are one, that we can't say to each other, I don't need you, or you haven't got a place here, or you're not significant, you, don't, you can't be a part of us. We are a family, we are an inclusive family. Remember that family is modelled on God's family, the author and creator of that perfect family unit. And again, what we do with our words, if we're not careful, is that we can cause dislocations to occur. We can break people by just merely saying the wrong thing. And can the body move with dislocated parts? Is it effective? No, it's not. Now, I work for the prison service, and one of my very first trips with a prisoner to hospital was because um, she had dislocated her arm from her shoulder. And there it was. I mean, it was the grossest thing I've ever seen. But there it was. It was just swinging about all over the place. And I, because I was very new... Uh, to the service, I, I had to be cuffed. So thankfully, obviously we do things right. I know we do make mistakes, but we do things right. We, you know, I was cuffed to her working arm and not the dislocated arm. But, but we, she, was, oh my, she was in agony. She was bent over with pain. It, it, was, it was troubling her so much. You know, she, was, she was crying. And yet, as soon as that arm was popped back in, there was peace. It was quiet. I mean, I was so thankful as soon as it went back in. There was no more crying. But church, the same applies for us. Paul is very clever with how he likens the body of Christ to the human body. If we're not careful, we can dislocate ourselves from each other. We can break each other. We can fracture ourselves. And I just want to say something a bit out there. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why the church as a whole, not just singling out us, the church as a whole around the world is not advancing as well as it wants to because we end up bringing these little dislocations and fractures and breaks with us. And we know very well, if I dislocated my foot, I won't be running. I can't run on it. And the same applies for the church. If we're bringing these kind of attitudes in, we're not going to be able to advance. 
as quicker or we're not going to be as effective for God as we like to be. No, our identity is in Christ and it is not in the world. Church, this morning, I believe that God wants to break these attitudes. I believe that God wants to set people free. I believe that God wants to come in and change situations, change these attitudes. If you've had words spoken over you of, of helplessness or you know, wrongdoing, God wants to come in and change that. You know, our identity is in Christ. As I said, we are blood-bought children of his wonderful grace. Again, that's worth saying amen to, isn't it? You know, we, we are we're sanctified. We're made righteous. We are holy. As I said, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We don't have to accept what the world speaks over us. We just need to accept what the Bible says, what God speaks over us, because we are significant to his plan. Let's continue, verse 22. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honourable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honourable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honour and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Now this makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Paul describes parts of the body that are the weakest. I'd like you all to do me a favour and just put your hand up for me, okay? And what I'd like you to do is just to clench your fist, okay? Make a nice, strong grip of it, okay? Now open it up, and you might think, what is the weakest part of your hand? You might think, could it be your thumb? No. Could it be your middle finger? No. Hmm. Perhaps your little finger. So if I get you to do me a favour, what I'd like you to do, keep your little finger straight and make, try and clench your fist as hard as you can with your little finger. Can anybody notice the difference straight away in, the, in that? Make another clenched fist, proper clenched fist now. So we might think that the weakest parts we can just do away with, that some of us can cope without our little finger or other different kind of parts of our body. You know, you lose up to 50% of your hand strength without your little finger. So what Paul is saying here, parts of a body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. You may think this morning that you are that part. You might think that you are the weakest member of the, of the church. You might think you're the weakest member of the family. You might think that you are less significant. Let me tell you now, you are not you are not less significant. You are significant. You know, without elders, can we meet? Yes, we can. <laughs> but we lack uh, you know, input from our eldership team. You know, without kids' work, can we meet? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, we can, but it will be chaos. 
You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had an all-age service, and I thought, that's great, you know. I think it was the, the Sunday that a lot of, us, a lot of the, um, the wives went on a retreat. And I thought, yeah, great, I'll have, you know, I've got my kids with me, I can worship. No, no, not at all. I was to a toilet three or four times because one wanted the toilet, one wanted the toilet. Then somebody wanted a snack, and then one person didn't. We didn't like the snack that they were given, and it, it, was, it was madness. It was chaos. You know, I'm so thankful to our kids' workers next door because not only are they committed to teaching uh, the children of our church all about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, but they're also committed to keeping them in there as long as they can. (laughs) You know, God's calling us to be a family together. It doesn't matter how big or small your role is or how insignificant you feel. Church, God says you are significant, you are valued, you are cherished, you are loved, you are worth something, you are enough. Verse 23 says, Parts of the body that we regard less honourable, we clothe with the greatest care. Now, there are certain parts of our body that we just don't expose to each other. Now, I think that we have a pretty good understanding of what those parts are, Okay. But there's something else that Paul is talking about here. Parts of the body that we regard as less honourable. It's already been mentioned in our worship. I'm talking about scars. I'm talking about bruises. I'm talking about cuts. I'm talking about wounds here. Because Michaela brought that, that word at the beginning in our, in our worship. You know, when we do battle, it is battles that bring scars. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter on your present We all carry certain scars that we're ashamed of, perhaps we're not proud of. And it is those that we regard as less honourable, but those that we must clothe with the greatest care. And I want to say, church, this morning, using our spiritual gifts, help us to clothe one another who need the greatest care. Whether that be physically, whether that be mentally, whether that be spiritually, whether that be emotionally, We must clothe each other with the greatest care. Because, church, it is in our vulnerability that it provides an opportunity for victory. And I'm just going to share a brief testimony. I know time is ticking on, so thank you very much for your patience. But my work testimony is this. Last last week, I ended up working about an 80-hour week. There's been a lot of bad press about prisons in the news. Prisons are growing violent. Prisoners are are bringing in this, this, this culture, of this gang culture, this, this culture of, of uh, being so violent and so physical into the prisons. There's drugs, there's abuse, there's self-harm. I had probably one of the most uh, awful weeks I've ever had in my career. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I was tired. And I, I ended up thinking... Do you know what? I've just got to get out of this situation. How do I get out of it? And this thought just dropped into my mind. Do you know what? The Euro Millions is on on Friday. It's, it's a £140 million jackpot. Why don't you go and buy a ticket? And I, and I, was, I, I was almost convinced. I, I thought, yeah, I, I think maybe I should go and buy this ticket. Because, I, I don't know why, because it was absolutely ridiculous, but I thought that I, I, I was almost convinced 
that buying a Euro Millions lottery ticket would make me £140 million richer. And I thought, that's great. I can get, get out of this work situation. You know, I could give some money to the church, give some money to you all. We'd all be in a better place. Everyone would be happy. Everyone would be content. But I soon realised that I'd actually been kept captive by this. You know, I, I, I thought that, that this was the way out, and it wasn't. And I looked at my life and I thought, oh, here I am. I am surrounded by, by these four walls. It was like the prison officer has now become the prisoner because I was slave to this, this, this kind of way of thinking. And I said to Naomi, I said, I can't go through this anymore. I didn't actually share, to her, share with her about the lottery ticket. So that's, so that, that's news to her. Um, but I... I thought, I've got to get out of this. What do I do? And she was like, you know, just, just send a message, you know, quite... Uh, I, I think it was probably a bit of an off-the-cuff comment because she knows that I am quite a... Despite what's going on today, I am quite an introvert. I do like my own time, my own space. I don't like to, to admit that I need help. Um, so I, I, I texted a few people, and I, I was just really honest. I was open with, with how work was doing and how I was, and people prayed. And I have to say that things changed. It was like the atmosphere at work just suddenly chilled. I mean, things, I have to admit, things weren't perfect. It wasn't a dramatic change and, and everyone was happy. But things changed. And I, I felt, you know, a bit lighter in myself. I felt like I could go in to work and know that I, you know, I've got the opportunity to, um, to pursue God with everything I have. You know, church, we suffer without each other, but we succeed with each other. And we must bear with one another. You know, if at times we, we find ourselves in these situations where we're almost fallen victim to this, this, this situation or this circumstance, you know, we're, we're, we're almost like progressing with this kind of victim mentality, we've got we've to meet people where they're at. We've got to bear with one another. We've got to keep short accounts with people. You know, I want to talk about the next thing, is that love is the qualifying factor when it comes to using our spiritual gifts. It is what motivates us to use our gifts better. I'm just going to briefly read 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I could speak in the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, yeah, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Church, I want to tell you this morning about a love that is so awesome, a love that is abundant, a love that loves beyond your circumstances. A love that, beyond, that goes beyond your situations. I want to tell you about Jesus. He himself is love. He created the heavens and the earth in love. All, the heavens and the earth, that our world is sustained through him in love. He is love. When Adam and Eve sinned, a plan was put in place straight away that a saviour would come and he would strike the enemy with his heel. We have a God of love, Jesus. It is he who came and was born and on this earth 
and lived as one of us and died such a horrible death in love because he loved us. It is that that motivates us to use our spiritual gifts. Love came down and his name is Jesus. You know, church, we are here to increase the kingdom of God. You know, we are saved. We've all been saved by the same gospel. Not one of us here has been saved by something different. And we need to commit to seeing people saved. And our spiritual gifts help us in that. You know, as I said earlier, spiritual gifts and the gospel, they go hand in hand. They cleave with one another. You know, they, they confirm the gospel. Church, we need to demonstrate the evidence of our salvation. You know, church, there is power in the gospel and there is power in using our spiritual gifts. You put them together and man, have you got a mighty force to be reckoned with. Church, we should practice our gifts. You know, Jesus is our example. He's our role model. You know, he, he came, yes, amen. He came and lived as one of us and he, he modelled that perfect way to live. There are some outstanding miracles that Jesus has performed. You know, he fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He turned water into wine. I mean, wouldn't we all like that, you know, that ability? We'd all love to turn water into wine. You know, he is our perfect role model, and we use our spiritual gifts to benefit each other. You know, church, we need to die to ourselves. We need to prefer each other. You know, it's quite easy, and I know that I'm guilty of this as well, that we bring that bit of a, an individualistic kind of mentality. We can think it's all for us. And yet we, we've got to die to that. We can't bring that kind of culture into the church. Otherwise, when people who are unsaved come into the church, if they see the same thing that's going on out in the world, in here, what, what kind of impression are they going to get? We've got to be intentional about community. And our gifts, we can use our gifts to equip one another to raise leaders to exercise and focus on loving others. Church, we need to grow in our understanding and our experience of the supernatural. Lastly, I just want to finish with this piece of scripture from 1 Peter 4, verse 10 to 11. It says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Notice here, it doesn't say do it with all the strength and energy that you have. It's all the strength and energy that God supplies. We do everything in Christ, everything in his strength, everything under his grace, everything in his love. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Because all glory and all power to him forever and ever. Amen. Sorry, church, I'm aware that we've overrun. But I, I, I don't want to finish here just like that. You know, but there's been so much of a message through the worship of freedom. You know, God wanted to come and meet with us. He, he wants to change circumstances. Church, I believe freedom is coming. We've had so many words spoken over us as a church. You know, there's this, that great picture that someone brought where we have the river of God just flowing from the back, flowing straight through and out into the community. Church, freedom is coming. 
And I want to I invite you all this morning, if you've had perhaps a negative experience or family, perhaps your experience in this church maybe has not been what you've hoped it to be. Perhaps you feel dislocated from someone. Perhaps you yourself have spoken words over someone else, not realising the effect that it has. You know, if this morning you bear scars and you bear bruises from, from your past, from your present church, God wants to meet with you this morning because he doesn't want his church to stagnate. He doesn't want you to, to stay as you are. You know, we come to church as we are, but we don't have to leave as we are. We can leave transformed. We can leave changed. You know, as mentioned at the beginning, don't look to the past. Let's look to the future because we know that freedom is coming because we have our faith in a God who is awesome. We have a faith in a Savior who came not just to live as one of us, but he, he died as one of us. He took all of our sin, all of our sickness, all of our shame away from us. Church, we've got so much to celebrate this morning. There is a freedom to embrace. And we sung that song, Who the Son Sets Free is Free Indeed. Church, I want to declare that over us this morning. Church, who the Son sets free, they are free indeed. Amen.